0: Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie.
1: Welcome to our monthly show. I'm Dr. Connie, and I thank you for listening in. This is the month of March, and before I dive into our theme today... I start off with my honorable mentions. I've had a, a busy past 30 days traveling around the country and speaking to different groups. I, I want to do an honorable mention to a, an engineering school in Hoboken, New Jersey. I spoke last month at Stevens Institute of Technology in Hoboken, New Jersey, and I spoke to the women engineers there and I was so impressed because I had not heard about Stevens Institute of Technology but they are the oldest engineering school in the country they were established in 1870 they're the oldest school in mechanical engineering uh, they were established right on the banks of the Hudson River so they have this fabulous view of New York City across the way I spoke at the engineering school as part of their women in leadership program and I real I found out that they have among their student body of women who study engineering about twenty five percent of the student body are women who study engineering and then if you look at the women faculty in engineering it's about thirty percent and that is actually consistent for, with what we see in other universities the other thing that impressed me about this school was the rate at which they place their students upon graduation when these students graduate with their engineering degree from stevens institute they, about 96% of them have jobs waiting for them. And the other 4% usually take a year off or a sabbatical and they have a job waiting. So if you're somebody, or especially a young woman who is interested in going into engineering, which is definitely something to consider, Consider looking at Stevens Institute of Technology in Hoboken, New Jersey. I, I, I spoke to their uh, college president and I said, Well, you know, with all the things you've done with your curriculum and the students here and the success, you ought to be considered the second miracle on the Hudson after the first miracle being Captain Sullenberger who landed his plane there uh, a few years ago. I also want to wish today a happy birthday to Dr. Julia Nay, who's been a guest on our show several times. She is celebrating in New Zealand and she's coming back uh, next week and then she and I will have dinner together, but happy birthday, Julie. Also March 15th baby celebration is Reiner Zim, who is a dear friend of our family. He is in Goderich, Ontario with his love, Kathy. And so Kathy, you make sure you take good care of Reiner and have a good celebration. Also, our dear friend John Sullivan in Scottsdale, he's one of my husband John's oldest friends, and we call him the Irish mystic, and so he is celebrating today. And speaking of Irish and the mystic uh, John Sullivan, the other celebration we're having this month on this weekend is St. Patrick's Day. So for those of you of Irish descent, happy St. Patrick's Day. A lot of times people talk about the luck of the Irish, and I think of the four-leaf clover and how much that means about luck. And I stumbled across a book about luck. It's entitled How Luck Happens, Using the Science of Luck to Transform Work, Love, and Life by Janice Kaplan and Barnaby Marsh. And in this book, they, they describe that luck is a combination of random chance, talent, and hard work, but they really believe that you can control that equation they feel that a lot of the luck around us can happen if you know how to look for it and so they give the following simple rules that i want to share with you so you can increase your chances of luck the first rule they say is pay attention anybody who seems lucky has that special talent that they tend to pay attention on many levels and they notice opportunities in other words hello pay attention see what's going around be conscious of those things around you the second rule is get off the standard path. And mathematicians have proven this w- who study game theory, and they conclude in highly competitive situations, sometimes the best move is often the most unpredictable move. So lucky people are often those guys who are the on the outliers who find a path that everybody else has missed. The other rule they use is change the odds. And we know that random events are all part of life. One way to improve your luck is to keep taking chances, right? Uh, Caltech physicist talked about this, and he said you have to keep trying and accepting failure because the more you try, the more likely you're about to get into a hit, no matter what your skill. And that's why I keep playing the lottery, which, by the way, Powerball I think is over 350 million. So you know, one of their slogans for Powerball is you can't you can't win unless you play, right? So you have to try. The other rule they say is think yourself into being lucky and there's a psychologist Martin Seligman who studies happiness and he's at the University of Pennsylvania and he says that if he's if you're looking if he's looking for somebody who tends to consider themselves lucky the number one ingredient he finds in these people is optimism he finds that when you're in the midst of a difficult time you may not see the bright side but when you have a difficult time, it can shake up your complacency and inspire you to take risks that can lead to unexpected good luck. So good luck on that, folks. Think about that. Today, as I said, is March the fifteenth. I, for many years, have called it, uh, oh, beware the Ides of March. Now, where did that come from? Well, if you look in the you know Wikipedia or encyclopedia in the old days. The Ides of March, March 15, is the day on the Roman calendar that corresponds to this date. It was marked by several religious observances and was notable for for the Romans as a deadline for settling debts. In the year 44 BC, it became notorious as the date of the assassination of Julius Caesar. And it was the death of Julius Caesar <clears throat> that made the Ides of March a turning point in Roman history as one of the events that marked the transition from the historical period known as the Roman Republic to the Roman Empire. And I remember growing up sitting in high school at Marviston, Imperial Beach, and we were reading Shakespeare's play Julius Caesar, which was written in 1601. And I remember again the phrase beware the Ides of March and that was the soothsayer or the fortune tellers message to Julius Caesar warning him of his imminent death. So beware the Ides of March. So when I hear that, it's a phrase about warning, of danger and that brings up today's topic. And I thought what would be a good topic on this day and I thought about the danger potential death and ultimately destruction of lives. And what comes to mind is this, opioid addiction. It's the addiction to opioids. And America is struggling with that right now. It's become epidemic. Every day, more than 115 Americans die from overdose on opioid drugs such as codeine, fentanyl, hydrocodone, hydrocodone and acetaminophen, which is Vicodin, hydromorphone, which is Dilaudid, as well as heroin. The addiction to opioids has become a national crisis, as you hear on television and the radio. Well, how did this happen? Well, in the late 1990s, the pharmaceutical industry reassured physicians like myself that for patients who needed pain relief, that the medicines that they had produced, that these patients would not become addicted to these prescription opioid pain relievers. So as a result, we dispensed these medicines to our patients, thinking that that would help. Well, ultimately, we got rather comfortable with that, and eventually the use of these meds spread and became a point of overuse and patients became addicted. And then the overdose rates rose from there because patients were using them and misusing these drugs over and over again. Well, in 2015, more than 33,000 Americans died from opioid overdose. And, and this was from not only opioids, but heroin and illicitly manufactured fentanyl, which is a powerful synthetic opioid. Also in 2015, about two million Americans suffered from substance abuse disorders related to prescription painkillers, And about 591,000 had heroin use disorder. So, if you look at the numbers, and I looked at that briefly last night, about 21 to 29 percent of patients prescribed opioids were prescribed opioids for chronic pain, and for those people, they tend to misuse them. About eight to 12 of patients develop opioid use disorder. About four to six percent who misuse prescription opioids transition to heroin. And about 80% of people who use heroin first misuse the prescription opioids that they were given. So anyone who takes prescription opioids can become addicted to them. In fact, as many as one in four patients who receive long-term opioid therapy from their primary care doctors struggles with opioid addiction. So that's a, that's a big red flag for a lot of us doctors who are prescribing pain meds. Don't make opioids your first line of action and don't give long-term opioid medications. When you do that for patients, once they're addicted, it's hard to stop. In 2014, nearly 2 million Americans either abused or were dependent on prescription opioid pain relievers. And in addition, when you take a lot of prescription opioids A lot of these patients mix them up with uh, sleeping pills and anti-anxiety meds, so on top of that, or they throw in alcohol. So all of these can lead to death. And and how does that happen? It's through respiratory depression. These medications are very potent central nervous system depressants and stop the respiratory drive and the ability of a person to breathe, causing causing death. And I look back, and as a physician, and I've had many patients who have been given opioids in the past, and and the intention was good. We want to give them pain relief. I've had a small number who have struggled with addiction. I've had one former patient of mine uh, who was in my practice for several years moved away And about five years later, died of an overdose from opioids. And it was very unfortunate when I heard about it later. And then when I heard back about it, we went through her protocol. And I called the pharmacy and realized she had been getting narcotics from not only myself, but many other doctors because there's no one central clearinghouse. Patients are able to doctor shop and get their meds from many other people. So over the past eight years, I've seen how uh, patients who go in for, let's say, knee surgery, I'll go visit them uh, at their homes later, and I'll say, well, what do you have for pain meds? And they'll show me a bottle and say, well, my, my doctor gave this to me when I left, and it's 60 tablets of oxycodone. And a lot of times they'll almost reflexively do that rather than say, all right, you know, limit how much you need or do you really need to be on that? Well, that's changed in the last year and a half. When I visited a patient of mine yesterday at the hospital, I said, well, what are they giving you for pain relief? And they said, well, they gave me two Percocet. And then the rest, I'm supposed to use Tylenol. And I'm supposed to call them. So they have limited what they use. And I think that is really part of the plan is to minimize uh, exposure of our patients to these very dangerous and addicting drugs. So the topic really is about a huge public health risk factor, as well as the crisis of opioids. And in studio today, we're very fortunate to have an expert in the field of addiction, not only alcohol addiction, but it, as well, but in terms of drug, narcotic, as well as behavioral addiction. And I think uh, this is a perfect person to interview today uh, on our show. So we're going to take a really quick break right now uh, and return to our special guest. I'll introduce them. But I want you to stay tuned after the break to listen in because I really believe that, what we talk about today about addiction and opioids if you're struggling with this problem or you have a family member or friend or coworker, listen in because it in a lot of ways i really believe this could save your life or change your life or the life of someone you love so stay tuned uh, to dr connie's house calls and our special guest in three minutes
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor?
3: When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States?
4: To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com.
0: How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez.
2: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
0: You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie.
1: Thank you for listening in today. We have a very special guest who's one of my favorite guests. He's appeared on two other of our shows, so we are really fortunate to have today in studio Dr. Jerry Law. I'm going to give you a brief bio about him and then we've got some questions I'd like to ask the good Dr. Law. Dr. Jerry Law is the Executive Director of Gentle Path at the Meadows and Willow House at the Meadows, which are residential programs specializing in relationship disorders, sex addiction, substance abuse disorders and co-occurring behavioral health disorders. He is board certified, he is a board certified Christian counselor a board-certified interventional professional, and a master-certified drug, alcohol, and addictions counselor. Dr. Jerry Law, and I'll call him Dr. Jerry, he brings compassion and a firsthand understanding about how critical it is to break the cycle of addiction in the professional world as well as within the family. He's the vice chair of the Association of Interventional Specialists and believes in interventions conducted with love, care, and concern. He facilitates interventions for eating disorders, chemical dependency, and process addictions, and has been named one of the top 10 interventionists in the United States. Dr. Law is also nationally known as a public speaker. His topics include intervention, addiction, marriage and family issues, communication skills, and others. He's a frequent presenter at conferences, treatment facilities, and faith-based organizations. So I welcome you, Dr. Jerry. Thanks for coming on our show again.
5: And thank you, Dr. Connie, it's um, always a pleasure to spend some time with you, and I'm honored to be on the show, thank you. I have really believed that your work has saved many
1: lives. In my personal life, in the lives of my patients, you've reached out, you've always been there, and I think I can count at least one life you saved that made a huge difference, so I thank you for that. You know, we're talking about the opioid crisis we share in our country and and how destructive that is and how painful is not only for the person obviously with the the addiction but for the family and society and it really boils down to addiction can you can you share with the listeners about what are the symptoms how do you know somebody's addicted
5: absolutely you know there are a number of definitions of addiction The, the medical community refers to it as a primary chronic progressive fatal disease In the treatment arena, we tend to use a a variant of that where we refer to it as a biopsychosocial spiritual disease or disorder. And I'll come back in a minute and talk a little more about that. But I think one of my favorite definitions is from the late John Bradshaw. And you won't find this in the ICD-10 or the DSM-5, but I really like it because John said an addiction is a pathological relationship with any mood-altering experience that has life-damaging consequences. That's a great definition. It that is, is and, and it's one that that we can embrace in our, our in our day-to-day life, and not have to have a, uh, you know, an M.D. or a Ph.D. to understand it. You know, I I have s- struggled as a physician with patients who are in huge
1: denial, and we'll, right. we'll go into those for example I see a lot of alcohol addiction in my practice these are people who are very affluent Mm -hmm. and their drug of choice is alcohol and they say, well, that's part of my social life. And we've had some who've really harmed themselves physically as well as their family, as well as financially. And I really believe in this case that I have seen, it's the only disease that I know that the person with the disease feel they're perfectly fine. It's everybody around them is messed up. You yeah, know, they're o- having a problem with
5: we it. We often say addiction is the only disease known to man that tells its victims they don't have it. Exactly. And that's the,
1: the insanity of it. When you look at people in general, who's more prone to getting
3: addicted?
5: I don't think there's any particular population that's more prone. We know there's a strong genetic piece, a predisposition. It doesn't mean if a person comes from a family with a lot of addiction that they're doomed to become an addict, but there is clearly a genetic predisposition, and so that's a part of it. But there's also the societal part of it. I mean, in the United States, we are awash in alcohol and it's just part of every everyday existence and you know the the sports uh arenas are all decorated in in early beer motif uh, rather than early american furniture mm-hmm. so it's it's i in my opinion and my experience is there's not a particular group of people more prone to it now we might see alcohol more with a certain group than we will see heroin mm-hmm. but Overall addiction, it's a it's an equal opportunity killer.
1: Well, you know, I think uh, thought about St. Patty's Day, right? Right. What do people think about St. Patrick's Day? You know, leprechauns, but they think of going to the pubs. They think sure. of drinking, having the green beer, having the green beer. When someone is addicted, I mean, what are you talked about the signs and how that influences it You know, people around there. But the person with it a lot of times is in denial. But if you have a family member, what kind of things do you think the family
5: member or the friends notice? Sure. Well, let me come back to that Mm biopsychosocial spiritual uh, concept of addiction. At the biological level, there may be all kinds of physiological damage that's going on in the person's life. But the disease process at the biological level is neurological. It is affecting the individual at the neurological level. The dopamine and serotonin systems, the reward systems are are out of whack. And I will often explain it to people uh, in this this term. You know, the human brain is a miracle. And it's estimated to be made up of about a hundred billion neurons. And neurons really just have one job. They communicate, that's what they do but they communicate through an electrochemical process. So neuron A releases neurochemicals, neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, into the synapse between itself and neuron B. Neuron B receives the neurotransmitters in a particular order and understands the message and passes it on. It's just nothing short of miraculous. Mood-altering chemicals, by their actual design, disrupt that process. That's what they do. And so when we're watching a person who's caught up in an addiction, we will often say, well, that person's just not thinking straight. Well, that's not a metaphor. That's, that's reality. They are not mm-hmm. thinking straight. And that then leads to this denial. Well, I don't have a problem. I can quit any time. So the denial piece ties directly into the biological or the neurological piece. Then the psychological piece, that's the behaviors. All the things that the person is doing and the people around them can hardly believe they're doing it. And often the addicted individual can't believe they're doing it and do it anyway. Uh, Einstein allegedly coined the phrase that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Right. Well, people who are caught in an active addiction play that out on a daily basis. Thirdly, there's that social piece. People uh, will often begin to build their social circles around others who will sanction that behavior let's go hang out at the bar or let's go hang out and and do -hmm. some cocaine or whatever whatever the case may be then the flip side of that is the disease will try to isolate the individual don't hang out with your family don't associate with your loved ones associate with your drinking and drugging buddies finally there's the spiritual piece and i'm not referring to religion a person may or may not have a a religious upbringing but from a spiritual perspective, it's the mind-body connection. It's the our value system, our morals, and that is terribly disrupted in this process. Mm-hmm. So when we see a person who has this whole cluster going on, it's a pretty good indication that they're no longer just social drinkers. Really, they're not even abusers. They have crossed the line or flipped the switch or whatever we terminology we want to use to be enslaved now in actual physical and psychological addiction so how do you break that well the the way it's ultimately broken is if the individual is unwilling to do something about it friends and family hopefully will step in and set some healthy boundaries set some boundaries that say I love you enough Mm -hmm. to support wellness and recovery and I love you enough not to support anything else So any enabling that we have done, either passively or assertively, that has made it possible for this behavior to continue, we're going to stop that. Now we'll help in any way, we we will support recovery in any way that we can, but we will no longer participate in this disease with you. For the individual who comes to recognize, I need help, that's the key, is I need help. I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. This isn't a matter of willpower. This isn't a matter of me just being bad. This is a biopsychosocial spiritual disease that requires treatment and the good news is treatment is abundantly available and very successful. So as your work at the Meadows which is famous for
1: addiction treatment and people talk about it some very famous people have been sent there and and how do they wind up getting sent to you? I mean, who brings them? Somebody bring them in,
5: or they, do people just voluntarily go in? It, it can be any of those, Dr. Connie. It can be the person realizes I'm in trouble and needs help and reaches out, or it can be some kind of crisis in their life. The crisis could be the loss of career, uh, being fired from their job. The crisis could be the dissolution of their family, mm-hmm. the spouse that says, I'm not gonna put up with this anymore, I'm out of here. It could be some kind of formal intervention where a professional comes in and facilitates that process. There's a lot of different ways in which people come into our program. The good news is, statistics show us that regardless of how they got there, Mm -hmm. if they'll engage in the programming, if they'll actively work a program of recovery, the recovery rate is equal on the uh, going out. So they have a higher, a higher
1: chance of recovery and, and being abstinent and being away, getting over the addiction then.
5: Absolutely. Recovery is not a destination. Mm-hmm. Recovery is a journey. Is. And once a person has literally crossed into that chemical dependency or compulsive sexual behavior that's become an addiction or gambling, whatever the case may be, um, the white knuckle approach to just stopping is rarely successful. What is successful is to surrender to the process, to recognize that I'm gonna have to do this the way other people who have been successful are doing it. It's gonna, I'm gonna rely on a support group. I may have a, a, a close coach or sponsor or contact. I'm going to, in many cases, reach out to a higher power. I'm going to, in many cases, attend some kind of support group meeting, whether that's 12 step or smart recovery or celebrate recovery or whatever, where a person realizes I am powerless. That doesn't mean I can't do anything about it. It means I've reached the point that all my best ideas, well, that's what got me here. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to rely on other people's ideas and surround ourselves with that kind of support and help. Now, when your
1: clients arrive there, I, I assume they're, they're, you know, not everybody's gonna be volunteering to go. I mean, a lot of times they're, they're driven there. They come kicking and screaming. Uh, how do you finally break them down, or so to speak, so that they accept and, and are
5: willing to get that treatment? Great question. We have a 45-day program, which is then always followed by aftercare recommendations, which may be an extended outpatient program, sober living, or, or whatever. Our goal in that initial 45 days is to break through that denial, to, use the, to leverage the power of community. Now, I use that word loosely. Uh, but, but a group of people, peers who are supporting one another, we live in community mm-hmm. and we heal in community. Mm-hmm. We don't heal in isolation. And that's what addiction wants us to do is, is isolate. Nobody understands me. I'll just go drink or I'll just go use. But when we come together in community and we realize I'm not the only one. There's other people with similar issues, similar problems, similar challenges. Let me hear what you're doing. I want to hear about your experience, strength, and hope that I can rely on and begin to put in effect in in my life. Now the the Meadows has been doing this for 40 years, so we have a long, long history and tradition uh, and programming that has been built by leading experts all over the world. And so patients come in, and in their first week there's these particular tasks, and in the next week another uh, set of tasks, and and so forth. And and it is it is a model that is built. What happens in week two was built on week one. What happens in week three was built on week two. So we're strong proponents of you need to stay the full length to get the full amount of the programming offered. Do, you know, and you I realize too it's it's
1: it's one of those programs that's it's effective, it's outstanding, but. Not everybody can go, right? I'm sure people who can't afford it, don't live in Arizona, can't make it to Wickenburg. What do you recommend for somebody who, who can't afford to Absolutely. go? Absolutely,
5: we're not the only player, that's, yeah. that's for sure. Um, there are programs that uh, are state funded. There are programs that insurance will cover a significant amount of it. I've known people who have, who have successfully transitioned to recovery through 12-step programs a sponsor, and perhaps some outpatient therapy with a qualified and trained addiction specialist. My belief is the longer a person can stay in the highest level of care, the better their outcome is going to be. But we also know not everyone can afford that.
1: Now, do you see a lot of uh, opioid addiction, narcotic addiction coming through? We do,
5: just a tremendous amount. You know, the opioid uh, addiction is nothing new. My goodness, there's records of people smoking uh, or using the uh, opium poppy in ancient times. Mm-hmm. However, what's happened in the last century and a half is different. You know, injectable morphine that was being used during the Civil War and, and, as it's, and it's moved forward. And then, as you mentioned, the pharmaceutical companies came out with a whole new class of opioid medications and said, these are safe, these are non-addictive, and we have since learned that just wasn't the case. Um, Secondly, we have a society that is sending the message to us that we are somehow entitled to live pain-free, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. If something's wrong, if you're feeling pain, do this to make the pain go away. Rather than do this to help manage the pain, it's do this to make the pain go away. So we are a society that is looking for pain relief. And we have certainly reached out um, in, in, in this particular opioid crisis. And then finally, you know, and these are not the only reasons, but as, as you know, when the medical community made pain the fifth vital sign, that has, in my opinion, really backfired. It was a great idea. Let's ask everybody on a 1 to 10 scale, where's your pain? And we created charts to put on the wall that have smiley faces and frowning faces. And if you can't decide... You know the number just pointed the face, and it literally has become the fifth vital sign. So when you're in the hospital, that's the nurse comes in and does your blood pressure and your, and uh, the other vitals and your respiration, and then says, "Where's your pain?" And physicians are then obligated by asking the question to do something about the pain. And so unfortunately, what became the easy approach was, well, let's medicate it with opioids, and opioids do a great job of addressing acute pain but they were never intended for chronic ongoing long-term pain and we've we've really created a mess and it's a struggle as as a
1: physician I have patients who come in with chronic pain and that's the hardest thing Mm -hmm. because you're trying to isolate I want to make sure I don't miss anything that I treat him appropriately I get him to the right people and I have people that we monitor how much they take but whatever I prescribe they can go to another physician or an ER and get the same prescription and right. there's nothing we have in this country that will centralize and say "All right, this patient has already three prescriptions from one provider i had finally one pharmacist called me about my my patient who was who was struggling with that and said are you aware that this patient has two or three prescriptions from the foot doctor, the uh, orthopedist, and you for a pain medicine. And I said, I never knew that. We don't know those things. that, And now they're limiting how much we prescribe, and I think it's great that we monitor it. But I think the thing that it's important among physicians is to train us and work with us to have that conversation and say, Mrs. Smith, you know, I've noticed that your medication use has gone up. You know, we need to do something about it. But you're right. It's when we're so focused upon... Pain, nobody wants to live with pain because that's suffering, but how do you alleviate it? How do you minimize it? And then that's that spectrum between alleviating the pain versus being totally sedated. Like some people Mm -hmm. live in this state of total sedation, Mm -hmm. trying to find euphoria. And and that's, I think, the challenge.
5: Agreed. And unfortunately, now as we are as a society beginning to um, ratchet down a little bit on the um, prescription of these opioids, People who already are addicted can't get the amount of prescription Mm -hmm. opioids they've been accustomed to, so they turn to heroin. Mm -hmm. It's cheap, it's readily available, and it is deadly. So now we have people who are not only addicted to um, opioids, but addicted to heroin and that's the scary thing. It really is. It's the illicit it's
1: drugs that they get that are that are contaminated and you get easy overdoses from that and it's deadly. It is. It's a huge problem.
5: It is an enormous problem and it's going to take um a long-term approach in our society to come to terms with the fact that there's a difference between pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Okay? Pa- mm-hmm. Pain is a normal part of life. CS Lewis said that pain is God's megaphone it's mm-hmm. one of the ways of getting our attention. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to this. This mm-hmm. is this hurts. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between pain and suffering. We don't have to suffer. We can figure mm-hmm. out ways to manage pain that don't lead to suffering. Excellent. Totally agree. We're going to go to a
1: quick break, and then our folks, uh, we're going to invite you to come back, and we'll wrap it up in a few minutes. But I, please come back and listen on, because this is a vital subject, and it could save somebody's life. It could be your life. So... Come back in a few minutes after a break.
2: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
4: To find out how you can get the same top of the line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor?
3: When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano.
1: I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president.
3: Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president.
1: I'm going to call her office now and join her practice.
3: Dr. County Mariano, this is a doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. County Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com.
2: We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building, yet sometimes we clash even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, how to get it just right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success, and every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: tuned in to house calls with former white house physician dr connie mariano if you have a question or comment for our show today please call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to dr connie radio at gmail.com that's dr at gmail.com now back to house calls with dr connie
1: Thank you for listening in today, which has gone by so quickly. And we're talking about opioid addiction, but primarily we're talking about addiction and how to best treat it and how to identify it and how to get people for help to help for that. But I think the underlying issue is how we individually and we as a society react and respond to the issue of pain versus suffering. And uh, Dr. Law, I was going to ask you for patients who are in chronic pain, and I know because a lot of times the doctors will say, "Well, here, take this, take this for your pain." But people who are in chronic pain, and where one prescription
5: is not enough, who, are there experts who can help us or help doctors with these patients? Absolutely, and, and chronic pain is real, and some people are in pain every day for years and years and years, and it's unfortunate. But the good news is there are some alternatives. There's some great advances being done in things such as acupuncture for for pain relief, massage therapy and Reiki, um, Tai Chi, mindfulness practices. There are a lot of things that we can do, um, guided meditation. There's a a couple of individuals I'd like to uh, reference for your your audience. One is a a physician down in Tucson by the name of Dr. Jerry Lerner, and that's L-E-R-N-E-R. And you can Google him and he's got a program um, on complicated pain recovery in which he really helps people understand you can be in pain and not suffer. There are ways that you can learn to live with the pain, doesn't make it pleasant, doesn't make it easy, but without turning to a chemical which not only ultimately doesn't uh, correct the pain, it becomes its own source of, of problem. Uh, and the other is a gentleman named Dr. Steven Grinstad, and that's G-R-I-N-S-T-E-A-D, and he's located over in the Bay Area, and again has a terrific model on learning how to live with, manage pain, with opioids being the absolute last line of defense rather than the first. Great. So Google those two uh, individuals, and you'll be able to get lots of great information on their websites. Excellent.
1: That has really helped a lot, I think, for physicians out there. And if any of you listeners are struggling with your pain control or noticing you're needing more and more pain medicines, go to your doctor. Ask for help. Google these specialists. Google the Meadows. Ask for help. It's, you know, there's one thing to be suffering, but to suffer alone is, is so difficult, I, I want to thank Dr. Jerry Law, I know our hour is almost up. I want to also add an aside here, because what you do in your day job is you save lives, and you deal with very sad subjects in a lot of ways, and you bring light to it, and you help so many people. Can you share briefly what you do that inspires you? There's another hat you wear or another collar you wear that I think is
5: very significant. Well, thank you, Dr. Connie. As you know, uh, my wife and I also have a, what's well, really her business, and, and I'm her employee, in which we have the privilege of, of performing marriage ceremonies, wedding ceremonies. And as you know, we were honored to perform the, the wedding for your son, Andrew and it's just been a delight and and so you know as working in the arena of addiction and so forth can be daunting and can be exhausting so for my own uh, personal well-being i do practice some of the very things that i was mentioning and and make sure that i have outlets that are uplifting things that i can do in my life that bring joy and peace and happiness and that's a delightful part of my life well that's a great prescription i I look at what I do every day in my day job,
1: and I work with people who are, who are dying. I mean, the, from the majority of my patients, I am their last doctor. And I've got some who with cancer and heart disease and who are debilitated and with dementia. And it's very sad. And what uplifts me is writing. That's my outlet, mm-hmm. writing and speaking and being creative. And as we're talking on that topic, I, I want to plug a book of a dear friend of mine, famous author, Doctor. Oh, actually, I was going to give him a Doctor. T- t- title. Brad Meltzer is the author. He's come out yeah. with his latest book entitled *The Escape Artist*, and he is a New York Times best-selling author. I met Brad a couple years ago at a at a thriller convention in New York City. What a great guy! He's he's humble. He's kind. He's so bright and creative. He's researched his topics uh, thoroughly. He's written many bestsellers. He's the author of the Ordinary People Change the World series, a picture book biographies. He's a host of the History Channel TV show Decoded and Lost History. And as we're sitting here in studio with, I have a copy of his new book. Uh, Dr. Jerry Law uh, mentioned to me that he's uh, listens on tape to Brad Mel- Melcher's books, and actually Brad is. Having a book signing today at the Poison Pen here in phoenix, i if i I don't think I can make it over, Brad, but I'm going to plug your book and I tell people to go out and and buy it. It's going to come out as the uh, another New York Times number one bestseller for this week. So congratulations. The other thing I want to share is is how do you deal with suffering? and in my way, a lot of times is humor. I was having a rough day the other day and one of my dear friends, Ananda Roberts, who is very creative, successful businesswoman, pulled up to my office and said, I have a gift for you. And and it, she takes out this bag and it's it's wrapped nicely and it's a coffee cup. And she said, I listened to your show last month about the show where you had other physicians and how one of the things you do as a physician, you're always diagnosing. And you can be out to dinner with somebody or at a party. And you're watching them, and as you're doing it, you can't help but diagnose. So I brought you this cup, and so I opened the 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 the, the wrapping, and this is cool little cup, and on it it says, keep talking, I'm diagnosing you. So I, I told her it was a perfect gift. I, I had it on my desk this morning when I was doing a physical, and my patient looked at it and says, I know, I know you're trying to diagnose me. Sometimes you just can't turn that off, right? You can't help but look and go, hmm, and start diagnosing it. I think we're sort of caught in that pattern, This the way you, your mind works. And I said, Why well, can't just in, enjoy and look around you and, and not have to diagnose and fix everybody, but you just have to deprogram yourself. So our hour is almost coming to close. Anything else you want to share, Dr. Law, before we sign off for the
5: the month? The only thing I would share, Dr. Connie, is if you are struggling or if you know someone who is, help is available. So reach out for yourself. Reach out to a a therapist. Reach out to someone who's trained in that arena. For a family member, uh, if you need to reach out to a, a professional interventionist to get that guidance and help, do it. Help is available.
1: Thank you so much. And those those words can save somebody's life. I really believe so. So thank you for listening in to our monthly show on the Empowerment Channel, Dr. Connie's House Calls. Uh, we invite you to come back next month. We've got another great show ahead. And I wish you joy and peace and, and gratitude in the month ahead. So God bless you all. Take care. <coughs>